You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. I have every intention of uh, returning to uh, Romans and our study together, but uh, I've been convicted that perhaps another series of messages may be more timely uh, in, in the moment. We began last year, 2021, with a study of God, who is God, and uh, I think that a study on the church, uh, what is the church, might be helpful for us now. What does the Bible teach about who we are as a church and what we're to be about? That's a huge question. And uh, it, it could take a lot longer than I have allotted and planned for uh, the sermon series. So I'm not going to be able to say everything that needs to be said, but I do hope to hit on some of the fundamentals. Jesus said in Matthew 16:18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus is building his people as an expression of his kingdom. Here on the earth. And so no matter what your earthly citizenship is, if you are a Christian, your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And and the church is to be a a reflection of, of that. Paul would write to the Philippians, your citizenship is in heaven. Uh, And so as we uh, think about the the church, uh, uh, when Paul wrote words, these letters to uh, the churches, many of them were under Roman occupation, they were Roman colonies, and everywhere that Rome went, they, they, they tended to, to have a certain brand or a style when they built these cities. It looked like uh, a particular Roman time. And, and with that being said, when, when Paul talks about the church being built, there's a basic structure, there's a blueprint that we find in the Bible uh, for what a church uh, is to be. And uh, so that's what we're going to turn our attention to for a few weeks, blueprints of a biblical church. This morning, just a couple of verses uh, that we'll look at in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and 15. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you. This is Paul writing to Timothy. So that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Lord, please help us now um, by the power of your Spirit in us to have eyes that can see and ears that can hear the truth that you would say to us today. And we, I, I pray that you would use me as your servant, uh, that you would increase and I would decrease And your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look up the word church in the dictionary, you would see uh, several different definitions uh, of it. Uh, A building for Christian worship. uh, Religious services held uh, held in a church. uh, A particular Christian group. Uh, the clerical profession, uh, the whole body of Christians, 
Many definitions, those are all taken from uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and, and they communicate somewhat of the confusion that there is surrounding what is the church uh, today. Of course, we use the word uh, a lot in different ways, don't we? Um, we might say something like, it's about time to redecorate the church, or uh, I enjoyed, hopefully, I enjoyed church today, uh, or my church is a Baptist church but, but those meanings and the ways that we use those words, the, the meanings of the word church are not found in, in the Bible per se because the church in the Bible is not a building, it's not a denomination, it's not an activity, but it is a people, a group of people. The word ecclesia, used over a hundred times in the New Testament, is a, is a compound word that, that means called out together. An assembly that's been called out together for the purpose, and in the Christian realm, the purpose of worship. Uh, this is the most basic picture of the church in the New Testament, that those who have been given new life by the Spirit's work, and who have been gathered together by faith in Jesus Christ, they come together to worship God. Ecclesia, the church. And when that word is used, it can mean the universal church, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, all believers in the world, all Christians all across the, the world. Or, but most of the time in the New Testament, it refers to a local church, a local church, a group of people who meet together in a particular location to worship God and to serve one another. Wayne Mack writes this, technically speaking, those people do not worship at a church or participate in church. They are the church. And if you're a member of the body of Christ, he says, you do not go to church or sit in church. You are a part of the church who's come together for worship and the rest of the body. We're people. Now, I'm concerned today that there's a growing indifference to the church. A growing indifference to being a part of the church today. You know, it's estimated, and the effects we're still feeling, that as much of a third of churchgoers stopped attending church during the pandemic, many of whom uh, are not coming back. Uh, but I, I think that trend was already happening before COVID, uh, and that COVID has only accelerated that that, that trend, gathering with God's people, the church, has been uh, on the unessential list for a good while. And uh, we're just seeing uh, some uh, speedy effects of that. In George Barna's book, Finding Vibrant Faith Beyond the Walls of the Sanctuary, now that title should tip you off right away that there's a problem. But he talks about a growing number of Christians who are serving God with no connection to the local church. And he begins his book uh, by admiring a Christian who plays golf every Sunday morning instead of attending church. And he writes this, Scripture teaches us that devoting your life to loving God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul is what honors Him. Therefore, Barna writes, being a part of a local church may facilitate that, or it may not. In other words, it's optional. Church is just kind of an added optional for your own personal devotional life as a Christian. It's not really needed in your life. That's the message. Um, 
and some of the message that, that, that we read. It's interesting because that's a far cry from how our believers in Christ, our forefathers and foremothers from another generation viewed the church. For example, here's uh, Augustine. He, he, he wrote this. He says, uh, he cannot have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. Or Luther, Martin Luther, who wrote this, these words, apart from the church, salvation is impossible. Wow. It's, it's, it, there's been a big change in how people perceive the the church and, and its importance. Is it really possible to have a, a, a vibrant uh, spiritual life, a growing relationship with God apart from the local church? Apparently some think so today. The answer, though, I think is, is a no, according to the Bible. And I want to show you that. I, I don't think it's possible to have a, a vibrant spiritual life apart from the church I don't think it's possible to move closer to God and farther away from His church. Uh, concepts that are not found. The, the, when we read the Bible, it gives us a much higher view of the church than what we see and, and think today. Uh, for example, Matthew 16, I read it a moment ago, Christ founded the church. And uh, I know that you know this, He also died for the church uh, he identifies intimately with the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, when Saul has been persecuting uh, believers, Jesus says, Saul, you've been persecuting me, he said. He even calls the church his own bride, John chapter 3, verse 29, and his own body, a concept that's taught in the New Testament, Ephesians 5.30. And so what is clear is that the church occupies a very central place, a very high priority in God's plan and work in the world. It's not just an option, in other words. And so I want to show you uh, from His Word how God views the church and, and what we should be aspiring to uh, of the characteristics of, of the church. The text what we read a moment ago from 1 Timothy chapter 3 was from the Apostle Paul to his son in the ministry, Timothy. And Paul has been laying out for Timothy in that letter uh, how one should conduct himself in the church. And so he, he wants Timothy to understand the significance and the, the gravity of what it is that he has been talking about. And so instead of just saying, he, Paul could have said this, he could have said, I want you to know, Timothy, how you ought to behave in the church. But, but instead of saying that, Paul says, I want you to know how one ought to behave in the household of God, and, and which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. It's as if he's saying, this is how important the church is to God, Timothy. There's four descriptive terms that Paul uses there to describe the church, and this will serve as a great introduction for us as we begin uh, thinking about uh, what is the church biblically. Let's look at each one of them. First, Paul calls it the household of God. The household of God, verse 15. The, the, the Greek word oikos there, which uh, can mean either a dwelling place, uh, like a house, or 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 an immediate family, like a household. And, and the truth is that there's, there's both parts of that, that that make up the church. First, the church is a dwelling place, the dwelling place. 
And when we say that, again, we're not talking about the church building because you know, I remember as a kid, you know, having been yelled out several times, don't run in the church, right? That's not really what Paul means here. He's not talking about a building, but rather he's talking about a community of people that manifests God's presence. Here's some examples. Paul wrote to the whole church, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. He said, you do not know that you are... You, plural, you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. That is, we are a building in the metaphorical sense of God's presence as His people. Ephesians 2, 19-22 is another great text that explains it a little bit further. Paul writes, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's the term. Notice, again, notice the terminology that he uses. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Oh, those are phenomenal words, isn't it? And, and all of the terminology that he uses about building, he's, again, he's not talking about a building, but he's talking about a people here. And the application of what's being said is, is this. If we want to be where God is, we need to be in His church. A part of His people, because that is where He dwells. The way that we relate to God is largely dependent the way that we relate to His church. We are the house that He has built and that He is building. It's His people. Maybe a, a more common way we would refer to the church is, is God's family. Uh, the people of God, the family of God. I remember singing this uh, Growing up, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That little chorus. We'd sometimes end the services that way. And uh, I remember thinking about that. John 3 talks about entrance into the family of God. How we're, we must be born again. Born again. Born into it. You, must, you, you were born, just as you were born in an earthly family, you must be born again to be a part of God's family. In other places, he uses the, the terminology of adoption to describe our salvation, how we've been adopted into God's family as His sons and daughters. But the point, again, is, is the metaphor there is that, that, that the family of God is a metaphor of the local church, the people of God, a people belonging to God. Now, Paul, no doubt, is, I think, using this to show Timothy the importance of of right conduct in the church. If you look back up in verses 4 and 5 of 1 Timothy 3, speaking there of elders or pastors, and he says he, the pastor must manage his own household, there's the word, household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? But you see, you, you notice the language there. Not only do we need to be in His church if we want to be where God is, but we need to be in His family if we want to consider Him as our Father. And it, it begs the question again, how could someone call God their Father while refusing to be a part of His family, the church? Yet that's descriptive of so many today who say they have faith and salvation, but they're not among the people of God. 
And, and I would just be frank with you, the New Testament simply does not envision such a person. Secondly, notice Paul uses the phrase, the church of the living God, in verse 15, the second part, the church of the living God. And, and, and this is a powerful definition because it, it, it reminds us of something very significant and special about being a part of, of the church. The church proceeds from God, it proceeds from God, and it belongs to God. He is the originator, He's the owner of the church. We're not. Amen? He's the living God. And in contrast to the temples of the, the pagan idols of, of the day, idols to gods that, who, who do not exist, the, the church belongs to the living God, a God who is personally and actively involved in His congregation. This is not the dead poet society. We have a living God that we've come to worship today. One pastor states the significance of this. God is at work among His people. And that living, divine presence distinguishes a church from every other human assembly. Without that presence, he writes, a church is nothing but a self-help group and a mere social club. It's the presence of God that distinguishes us. The church is not simply another helpful organization in the community. Uh, there are many parachurch ministries that, that exist, and there's some really good humanitarian agencies in our world that do great work in communities, but there is no organization of people or body of people in whom the living God promises to be with. When they gather and they go forth, but the church, you think again, of just a cursory reading, just some thoughts here of the Scripture, what, what Scripture says about God's presence in the church. Ephesians 1, how God has loved us before the very foundations of the world. Uh, Acts twenty twenty eight, how He sent His beloved Son to die to, 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 so that He might purchase His people with His own blood. He bought us. He redeemed us. Acts 20, He participates continually in our fellowship together. 1 John chapter 1, 3, uh, 1 verse 3 talks about that. Jesus has promised to be personally present with His church when they meet. Matthew chapter 18, and He promises in Matthew 28 that He will never leave us or forsake us. His Holy Spirit brings us into the church when we're saved. When you're saved, you become a part of the church. John 3, He empowers your life. He indwells you. He illumines your minds and heart to the truth of the Spirit. He, uh, he gifts you for service in the body of the local church. Again, it's an incredible thought. And, and, and again, I'm not knocking any uh, particular organization here, but God's the presence of God uh, the power of God is not given to the Lions Club. They don't, they don't have that promise. It's not given to the Red Cross who does great work. They're not given that promise. It's only for God's household, the church of the living God. If you want to find God today, the Bible says you, you don't need to be looking in the, the meeting halls of the community or in the lecture halls of the school. If you want to find God today, you go to the church. 
If you want to know God, then look no further than the gathering together of God's people, the church, because the Scripture says that's where He will be. With His people. Think about how significant that makes our weekly gatherings. You, you did not come to a concert today. I hope that you weren't expecting that. Uh, you, you, you didn't. There's all kinds of gatherings that you could have come to today, but you know you've come, hopefully you've come, to meet with the living God. And, and think about the, 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 how significant our gatherings are. The Bible reminds us that when the church gathers, the living God is among us, and yet how often we let so many other things crowd out this time that we get to spend together. I was reading an article back on the, uh, it's a, a while back, but it was on the increasing number of Christians who may be firm in the faith, but, but, but rather lackadaisical in their attendance with the church. And it looked at, the article looked at a typical family, just a hypothetical family, uh, who attended the church about half of the 52 Sundays a year, about half. And it just kind of reasoned about how this thing happens. And, and you know, I, I see this happening. I know these, these kinds of things happen. It starts with vacation, which is a good thing. I like vacations. Amen? Well, I do anyway. But usually, uh, vacation uh, spans two weekends. And so, you know, there's a couple Sundays gone. You know, if you take a vacation, you take two a year, if you're, you know, able to do that or blessed to do that, then there's four Sundays, and then there's, you know, maybe a Memorial Day or a Labor Day that you find something, have something going on, and so there's five Sundays a year that are gone. And then, and then we know this, and the pressure, this is controversial, but the pressure of sports, those who have kids, how it puts pressure on us. If you've got a couple of kids on teams, different sporting teams, different activity teams, uh, you don't want to met, let the team down. When we were uh, in soccer and we had like a third of the team, you know, with our family, it was a lot of pressure, you know, but you don't want to miss those. But, the, you know, there's lots of pressures about, about that. And so you end up missing seven, eight, nine more Sundays because of tournaments and games and practices. Uh, and then there's the unexpected sickness, and nobody plans for sicknesses, but, you know, these days you've got sicknesses and quarantining and all that kind of stuff, and so you end up, you know, you factor that in with the two or three more Sundays that you didn't plan for that just kind of happens. And then, and then you know, the pastor, he takes some vacations, and we all know what happens when the pastor takes a vacation around here, don't you? You people decide to go somewhere else and play hooky, right? Uh, so... There's all of these things, and you see how it can happen. You throw in a few out-of-town guests, family visits that are wonderful and nice, but you, you didn't go to church those weekends, and then all of a sudden, you're here about 28 out of the 52 Sundays. And I would just ask you, is that, is that important? Does, does, is the church, does that signify church is important? Gathering with this people in your life. I'm not trying to guilt you at all. In fact, the... This article had a great balance in there. The author writes this, Guilt is the result of not going to church, not because you feel bad for not living up to God's expectations, like we're checking off some box, but because you're not hearing the message of the gospel of grace pounded in you week after week. It's so true. He went on to say, we don't go to church because of guilt. We are the church because of grace. Isn't that right? 
And, and, and so this is what Paul is reminding us here, that when the church gathers, the living God is among us. And, and we are his house, we are his household, worshiping in, in the presence of God, listening to his word, being strengthened by the fellowship of believers. We need this grace in our lives. It's not a matter of legalism, it's that we need this. This is so important. Moms and dads, you need this grace. Your children need this grace. Kids and youth need, our families need this grace. Lest Hebrews warns that we fall away from the living God. This may be why Paul describes the church third as the pillar of truth. Verse 15, the pillar, a pillar of the truth. A pillar holds something up. And so Paul says the church holds up the truth. And it's kind of a shocking statement again because the implication is that, that God's truth is not able to stand without the church. If the pillar's removed, then it collapses. Now, of course, that's never going to happen, right? Because Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? But Paul's words, I think, are designed to help Timothy and, and us grasp the gravity of the church's importance. All of these words are. Uh, one, one of the books been helpful this week in my prep was a book called Life in the Father's House by Wayne Mack and, and Dave Swavely. They had a little section in here about four ways the church functions as a pillar of truth. These are worth sharing first uh, through Revelation. How does the church function as a pillar of truth? Through revelation. What is meant by that is that God has chosen to reveal His Word uh, in the New Testament through the church. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes this, verse 8, To me, though I'm very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How did God reveal His Word? Through the church. Through the church. Through Paul, the apostles. God's Word has been revealed to the church. Now, the church is not continuing to reveal the Word of God today because all the Word of God is complete, right? doesn't need to be any more added to it. So we're not revealing the Word of God today, but it started there. It was built on the foundation of the apostles and, and the prophets. Rather, now the church is, is the interim, instrument of God to proclaim that truth. Proclamation. That's the second way the church is a pillar. Proclamation. God, Ephesians 4, God has given pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. How? Through preaching and teaching. And he's called every believer to be a witness of the gospel. We're all called to go and tell it on the mountain. To share the good news of Christ. So it's, it's the sacred duty, responsibility of the church to proclaim the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints. And because through it, the Holy Spirit calls sinners to repent and believe. And so we're to proclaim that word. Third, the church is the pillar of truth. In its administration. And that is this, that God gives us the instructions for how He wants us to worship Him. 
That's super important, and, and, and we could say that's the whole context of the letter in, here in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. These are blueprints of how we're to function as a church. God has never provided instructions for a parachurch organization. He's never told them, but, but He's specifically instructed the church. We have His Word. He instructs us on matters of worship because it is about Him, after all. He instructs us on baptism and communion and giving and leadership and preaching and the role of men and women and a ton of other things. We should look to His Word for these instructions, not to the world. It's a pillar of truth. And finally, he says the church upholds the truth by protecting, protection, protecting it from error. That is, we have the responsibility of passing this word on faithfully, generation to generation, so that it, hold, it stays true. Thinking about all of these things, Paul, Paul's reminding Timothy of the indispensable the, the, the role that the church plays in our lives. Think of all that would be lost if the if the church were removed from our lives. Think about it in our own relationship with God and, and, and His truth, that it's in danger of collapsing if, if not for the church occupying its place. I, I think one of the, the reasons people are rejecting and neglecting the church today is because it is a pillar of truth. That is, it is providing walls. It defines the truth from God's Word. It shows us how to live. It tells us the news we must believe in order to be saved. And here's, here's where I think this, this rub is that someone once said this, if I could find a church without religion, then that would be the church for me. It's such a dumb statement. Because to find that would not be a church at all. And we, we say this over and over again. Christianity, the church, is not whatever we want it to be because we might as well be creating our own faith. It's shaped. We must be shaped by the truth of God's Word, not ourselves. The church is the pillar of that truth, holding up the truth in a dark and deceived world. And surely, as you look about today, you see the importance of this, not just in our meetings, our gatherings, and how, what we're doing, but also in the world today. We see the decline and the disintegration of truth in our culture all around us, aren't we? All around. Our world, as it rejects the truth, as our world rejects the truth, it is also losing the ability to even discern the truth anymore. It doesn't even know. Uh, even the most basic biological matters, such as gender and sexuality, are in great confusion today. And the, the social, the, the, the main foundational relationships of marriage and family that have sustained society and culture is under question and attack. I tell you, when the scientists don't know and can't figure something out, and when the social workers uh, are, are no longer for sure of these things, and some even working to dismantle these things, the church is the pillar of truth. And not a truth, notice, the truth, Paul says. We must hold on to that and proclaim it in the Word. We're going to come back to those things again, but there's one more from the text that we'll look at today. That is the buttress of truth. The buttress of truth at the end of verse 15. The word there means foundation. 
And it speaks, I think, of stability and, and permanence, which is a great reminder to end on today. Why did Paul use this word to help Timothy to see the importance of the church? I, I think he wanted Timothy to know that the church is the one institution that God has promised to preserve. To preserve. It will always endure. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Ephesians 3.21, Paul says, To him, to God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. This should provide us as Christians a tremendous amount of hope and confidence. And also conviction, though. Conviction. As Mack writes this, one more quote, it also presents a convincing argument for the idea that we should direct our energies and efforts primarily toward the edification and growth of the local church rather than organizations and institutions outside of it. Because the church is the only body whom God has promised to preserve and bless in this way. And that's a great question to end on. Again, is, is the church important to you? Being a part of the church, gathering with the church? Is it as important to us as it is the Lord? And what is laid out here in His Word. If, if God has such a high view of the local church, shouldn't we? Now, just a brief testimony. I remember growing up in my home church in Maceo, Kentucky, and they used to give attendance pins. How many of y'all remember attendance, Sunday school attendance pins? You remember that? And you hooked them all together? <laughs> I probably got nine or ten years worth of those pins growing up. For attendance, you had to be, you, you, you know, and they kind of fudged a little bit because they said, you know, you, you can miss one Sunday a year, uh, but you got these pins if you had the, the perfect attendance. And uh, my family, several summers there, I remember we would go camping almost every weekend. And the campground was only, you know, five or six miles from my house. It was a local fish and game that was there. But I remember on Sundays, Dad would take uh, us, my mom and I, back to the church. We'd take a couple of hours. We'd go home on Sunday morning, go to church. Then he'd drive us back. We'd have lunch, and then we'd pack up and go home. Um, and I remember we usually took a vacation to Florida every year, so we would go to the beach and, and uh, come Sunday. I had to get to a church because if you brought a bulletin home, from the church that you went to, that counted. And uh, so we had to find a church because you got that credit for, for us. I look back on that, and I, I kind of chuckle. And we, we talked about this in staff the other day. You know, it's not saying that we should go back to that. There's parts of that that, are, that some would say, that's so legalistic, that is so silly. You know, you were just going to church to get a pen. But it's funny because I don't remember it being that way. What it did leave me with is that the church sure is important. It sure is. 
I'm thankful for that. Uh, Lord, help us to see and understand these things, not in legalistic and judgmental kinds of ways, but Lord, to sort these things out in our hearts and lives that would give priority to you. Thank you for the blessing of being a part of the church. Lord, help us not to take that for granted. But Lord, help us to give it the priority and tension and, and commitment that, that it deserves. And we pray this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.